and welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm Trevor Tortomasi, and this week I'm speaking with Carl Hill. He's been a writer, a bar owner, a coach, a teacher, and even a professional traveler based in Taiwan for many years. Carl hosts a podcast called The Black Expat, where he speaks about the successes, struggles, and strategies he's carried with him as a black American living abroad. So, Carl, having recorded over 100 episodes, what is your podcast about? So essentially, when my podcast first started, it was uh, essentially me sharing my travel stories because it was right around the time I was thinking about starting my own travel company. Um, and I was like, you know what? I really want to get into writing, but I'm not a natural writer. And it was much easier for me to kind of just talk about the things that I've been doing. So at the time I started my podcast, I think I had traveled to more than 30 countries. And I got tired of always having to explain to people exactly what I was doing or how much fun it was traveling and the things that I was going through as a part of living in Taiwan and traveling to, to these different places. So I started the podcast this is as a way for me to share my stories and to me and to inspire people to also want to get out and travel and see the world. Um, it's evolved since then uh, into a way for me to connect people from all over the world uh, as well as for me to share the experiences I've had since then because I've been in Taiwan for 11 years now. So now it's a way for me to share stories of other black expats from around the world and people who have done amazing things not just in Taiwan but in other places as well and things that I have going on here um, just as a way people to be more informed about the opportunities that you have if you choose to leave whatever country you're in uh, and go out in the world and try different and new things. You've interviewed people as well. Uh, what have you learned uh, sort of from interviewing people? Um, one, uh, interviewing definitely helps me with my own style, my, with my podcasting style. And when I started, it was just me. I did not do any interviews. Um, the interviews really taught me a lot about how to interact with others in a different way. Um, and it taught me a lot about the many different things and the many different mindsets people have when they actually go out into the world and think about traveling and going abroad. Everyone's ended up in Taiwan for many different reasons or the countries that they are in for different reasons as well. Uh, but through the interviews, I kind of really get to dig deep inside you know, their mentality behind what they're looking for in their experiences in being abroad, what got them here and what will also keep them where they are or convince them to go off and do different things as well. So I, I, I try to keep it balanced. I don't want it to be too heavy on the interview side because it is the Black Expat Podcast and my experience is the central part of the show, right? So every discussion I have, whether it's with an expat that's still here or that's back home, uh, everything I talk about, I want it to come from an expat's perspective, right? So I'm not back at home. I'm not living there. And even if I was, I still want to keep that mindset of being an expat and what it feels like to see things that are going on around the world, how I interpret it versus how someone who was living in their home country or never traveled the world at all would experience and feel about these certain topics that we're diving into. So when I do write my own episodes, I don't actually write down what I want to talk about. Um, I used to try that when I first started. I used to try to write down everything I wanted to say, like have a little script with me. But now I just write down ideas because the fact is I have a lot to say about these topics because whatever I speak about on my podcast, I believe in, uh, I truly believe uh, something I really, really care about. And I don't just talk for the sake of talking. Like I really want my audience to take something away from what I'm discussing. And there's always a little bit of my personal experience in, the, in each episode that I produce as well. Um, the difference between interviews is when I first started doing interviews, I did also did not have a script because I wanted it to be a more natural conversation. But what I found was um, some people aren't can't take a topic or a phrase or whatever we're trying to discuss and kind of run with it the same way that I could on a microphone because people get nervous, right? They get and they kind of forget what they want to say like I just did a few moments <laughs> ago. Uh, so it's always important to have leading and guiding questions to kind of lead them in case they aren't similar to me and are able to just take a topic and kind of run with it. 
Has anyone changed your perspective in a meaningful way through these interviews? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I found the more I do interviews is when I first started, people didn't really want to have a debate with me, right? Because they were like, oh, I'm, I'm on your podcast. I'm interviewing with you. And I don't want to, it's not a debate podcast either, but I wanted to create that space where if I say something that you don't agree with or that you feel that, uh, that, that you wouldn't necessarily express it that way, you don't feel the same way that I feel, I wanted to create that space for people to challenge me on air while we're having the conversation. And recently I did a podcast about voting. Uh, do expats have the right, or do you feel that an expatriate should have the right to vote uh, if they're living abroad or have been living abroad for an extended period of time? And uh, just from a black person's perspective, I, I was saying something like, uh, because of everything that our ancestors went through, I feel like as a black American, you should want to vote. We have to vote because of that. And the young woman I was speaking to, she said, while I understand where that sentiment comes from, that isn't the reason why you should vote. And, and I was like, I didn't understand. I was like, well, you know, you're black. You should understand what I mean when I say that because of our struggle, we should be the ones on the forefront of voting. She says, we have to move past that mindset. Voting is, it's the right thing to do. That is why you should vote. Like the things that our ancestors went through, yes, we have to acknowledge that and understand that, but that's not the primary reason why someone should feel like they need to get out of their bed and go out and vote. That's not the that's not the main idea. That's not the main reason. The main thing is it's the right thing to do. And that's how we prevent ourselves from going backward and actually help ourselves move forward. And that was a way that I had never I had never really thought about it that deeply. And you know, and I know it seems like something, oh, you should want to vote because it's your right and it's the right thing to do. But for black people, a lot of us don't really think like that. We have to use Sometimes we feel like we need to use something to explain why we're doing something. And she kind of opened my eyes to say, no, it's the right thing to do. That's why you should do it. So just go out and vote. So that way you don't get stuck. We don't get stuck as a people in the past. We have to move past that. Where are you from and what brought you to Taiwan? I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. And my story of coming to Taiwan is a weird one. Uh, when I was in university, my very first year, um, you know, you back then we didn't have computers, weren't that fast and cell phones. So they mailed you your uh, your class list and you got to select which classes you were interested in because I went to a liberal arts school. And, you know, I checked Spanish and history and social studies and science because I loved science back then. I originally wanted to be a brain doctor didn't go through with that for a variety of different reasons <laughs> just because my mother said hey you you don't even seem like you want to do this you're doing this because my mother had brain surgery so I wanted to do that for her and she was like don't do it for me go learn something that you actually care about so I got my schedule back from the university and then on it uh, it said oh you have history and science and intro to writing and then Mandarin and of course again this is old school Carl a black man from Chicago uh, the last thing I thought that I wanted to do was to go and take a Mandarin course uh, I was actually so angry that I went to the president of the university. Um, I went to my mentor. I went to my, you know, you have an advisor your first year in college. And I was complaining. I was literally outraged. I said, you guys are going to ruin me. I want to have this 4.0 GPA and be perfect and all that. I'm going to fail Mandarin because it's not what I want to do. Why would you give me that? I didn't check it on my list. All these things, right? And then uh, <laughs> that didn't work. They said, hey, we understand your complaints, but all the classes are full. We understand your complaints. Get out of my office. Things like that. Um, the funny story is when I got to class, uh, the very first day, I loved it. It was the best experience I'd had up until that point at 18 years old. I loved everything about the class. I was the youngest person in there. I had senior, older senior kids that was in the class, and it was just so fun and engaging. And I learned a lot. Like, I walked out of there the first day having a Chinese name, knowing how to say hello and goodbye, uh, and then learning something about a different part of the world in a way I'd never done before in high school. Like, yeah, yeah, yes, we took Spanish class and French and things like that. But the way you're taught in high school is very different in college. I think, you know, that's fair to say. And the way that in which the 
the teacher interacted with me was just very different as well. So I loved it. Fast forward four years, I studied abroad in mainland China. Then I came back during the depression, not depression, the recession that we had uh-huh. uh, under. Uh, it was depressing. <laughs> it was very depressing. <laughs> I'll get that mixed up. The recession. And I'd studied abroad my senior year, first semester. Um, because my counselor was a black man. He said, hey, you've been studying Chinese at this point for three years. What are you going to do with it? I said, I don't know, work for the FBI. He said, have you thought about leaving the country? I said, nope. Yeah, you're going to leave the country. I said, why? You're just going to do it. And he actually held my hand through the process and forced me to leave the country. Um, and he did all the paperwork for me, called me into meetings, pulled me out of classes because he said, hey, you need this experience. It's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. But yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. But then I came back uh, and again, it was a recession. Uh, there weren't that many jobs and I didn't I had no interest in going back to grad school. Uh, my professor was Taiwanese and she said, hey, do you want to go and continue learning Chinese, but also teach? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I have a job opportunity for you. She said, come to this. Uh, there's like a session where she's going to introduce Taiwan. She said, come there next week and uh, I'll I'll do an interview with you. So I show up and it's five people in the room and it's not an interview. It's literally a video and it shows palm palm trees, warm weather and a school. And there's no kids in the video at all. It's just like a school. And it's like, yeah, you're going to go there and you get to teach English. And then you can also take classes on the side, but you'll immerse yourself in the language and you'll learn it in a different way. Similar to what I was doing in Beijing. I said, oh, this sounds cool. Where do I sign up? She says, hey, just by showing up, you have the job. And I was like, man, that sounds really, really creepy. (laughs) You mean this isn't a (laughs) multi-level marketing scheme? I I get to actually travel? (laughs) It was very strange. Um, So, yeah, two months later, I had an internship in China. Then I ended up in Taiwan and I've uh, been here ever since. You previously taught at uh, Tom Kong Junior High School, Mm -hmm. and you were the manager of the foreign teachers there. Was that the first thing you did as you got to Taiwan? Yes, that is the that's the job I was hired for to go and work at that school. So off the plane, they had housing set up for us. And that was someone, what the uh, the video was for. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was just Tom Kong High School, and it was uh, just the palm trees on the campus, and that was it. And that was the first job that I that I had when I came. Uh, I was there uh, again. I didn't think I was going to love teaching as much as I did, but somehow I was naturally really into it, and I loved it. And I had great students and a great supporting staff that I had there too. I became manager after three months of working there and I became director maybe a year and a half later. But yeah, it was it was the first job I had and I really enjoyed it. Uh, we had a very like diverse team. So our oldest staff member was 68 and then here we are 21, 22 years old, the three of us coming in and working. Head teacher at the time or manager at the time, he was like, you know, in his 30s. So he didn't really have a grasp on how to communicate to all of us. And there was no team dynamic or team atmosphere. When I came in, I was like, hey, guys, this could be done so much more efficiently if we just worked as a team. Now, I do say this, even though I took over after three months, I was bad for a year and a half because I myself had had a lot to learn about managing adults and managing people. But, yeah, I think it was just my enthusiasm for the classroom, my ability to want to talk to everyone and to create that team atmosphere where we're all working together toward a common goal instead of feeling like you're being talked at and talked down to right it was more progressive um, but they definitely mentored me and I was raised kind of in that system and uh, we were able to create an amazing program that uh, has lasted since I've been there uh, the things that I've created are still some of the things that the kids do to this day the university you came from was DePaul University mm-hmm. and then a lot of the teachers at that school have still have also come from DePaul University if I'm if I'm correct yeah since so then when I came it was uh, the professor that told me or gave me the job she would just have those random meetings right when I came I said you know what those random meetings are great but people need to know exactly what they're getting into when they come to Taiwan I was kind of used to you know living in Beijing 
prior to that, I was kind of used to kind of being thrown into something and kind of having to figure it out. But I wanted people to stay for a longer period of time and also have a more fulfilling and enriching experience. So we created a program where the school would pay for us to go back and actually recruit and give them the full outlook what they'll what they'll actually be doing. So uh, what it's like to teach, how you can save money, how the free housing, the ability to travel and how Taiwan is an amazing place. So when I was there, I hired uh, for internships and full time. I hired more than 75 DePaul alums to actually come and work at the school uh, throughout my time there. And that's a program that um, I think it's slowly doing it out after I left. But that was my big thing that I wanted to do is every year I recruited directly from the school, from my alma mater to get more people to kind of come out here and see what it's like to work in Taiwan. It was pretty big. At one point of a staff of 40, uh, 32 of them were from DePaul University. Man, and that was uh, yes, yeah, so it was. That's a big staff too. It was, it I'm used amazing, to the Bushibon yeah. where it's like me and the other foreign teacher. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. My biggest thing is I'll say is everyone I hired except for three people um, stayed here for more than a year and a half. I um, mean that was really big because you didn't want them to just come from a year and then hate it and then leave. Everyone stayed, renewed their contract at least once except three people. What have you learned from teaching? I learned a lot from teaching because I didn't know that I wanted to do it or that I would enjoy it. I did a little bit of teaching before I came to Taiwan, but um, just being in the classroom, I, um, I've i been watching the movie Soul recently, and I think teaching has always been my spark in one way or the other. Uh, I started in the classroom, and I really loved watching the students learn something, like really walk away and say, hey, I did that because you taught me that or because we interacted and I took this away from the lesson that you gave me. So I learned how to talk to people, believe it or not, and how to instruct them and how to encourage them through what I was able to do inside of the classroom. And that only grew because through teaching, I went into managing and it's going to sound weird, but you know, sometimes adults are like, are, are like children and you have to kind of, you know, you have to kind of lead them and, you know, give them what they make them feel happy about themselves. You can't talk down to them. So that's why my, my leadership strategy and development came from what I learned in the classroom was like, Hey, this is how you motivate students who don't understand exactly what you're saying, what you want them to do. You have to kind of guide them and bring them up to a point where they are believing in what they're doing. You're not, and they don't feel like you're telling them what to do. So teaching taught me how to lead inside the classroom and outside of the classroom because I grew up, again, when I'm 21 years old and I'm teaching 18-year-old kids, yes, we have that level of relatability, but they still have to respect me. So as a 21-year-old manager managing 68-year-old people, it's the same thing, just on a different level, just different age groups. You have to listen to me and respect me, but I also have to give you that same level of respect back. So in the classroom, it taught me that no matter who you're dealing with, you the foundation of everything, of every conversation is respect, whether you're talking to a child or a, or a young adult or a real adult, you know what I mean? So that's what teaching definitely taught me was how to communicate effectively and how to lead appropriately um, as well. What have you learned as as a black expat, especially, that other expats might not realize? Being a black expat, when I first came, it was uh, it was pretty eye opening. I think being so far away from family, it just taught me how much of an individual that I needed to become in order to have a fonder appreciation of family. Not to say I didn't appreciate them, but I think just being out on my own made me realize how great it is and how great it always will be to have that home base of people who know you better than anyone. Uh, and that that never changes. But uh, one thing that I've learned from being out here as a black expat is uh, a lot about myself and that culture that I just spoke about, right? Because well, when I've been in Taiwan, um, I am a black man, but I am in Taiwanese culture and you kind of have to adapt 
to the culture itself. But people always think because you're adapting to one culture does not mean that you lose your own culture that you're a part of. So I learned a lot more about myself because of that and uh, and what I appreciated about the culture that I came from. And it's not just black culture, it's Chicago culture, it's you know, it's DePaul University culture, all those things. All the things that I miss about home, uh, I realized the more because I was so far removed from it and being and living in Taiwan. So it's the things that, I, how I speak, how we communicate, uh, the types of things I, I like to do in, in regards to entertainment all those things I kind of take away from having gained a fonder appreciation of uh, because I've been an expat for so long. And I do appreciate my culture a lot more uh, as a result of being an expat abroad. On that same note, what might black folks in the U.S. not realize if they haven't been abroad yet? I didn't realize how diverse the world was myself. Uh, and I also didn't realize how much of a bubble I was living in uh, because our culture is very exclusive. Everyone has their own set of culture where they come from, right? And black culture, especially where I was from in Chicago, is very exclusive. And I didn't really realize it until I was fully removed from that culture, right? Do you mean exclusive like family to family, like neighborhood to neighborhood? Yeah, it's, it's family to family, neighborhood to neighborhood, and even like bigger than that, right? Just how we communicate and how we operate. It's just, it's so different. And I think being so being away from it is I had, I had an outside looking in perspective on it. So again, and that's the part of the podcast, the way I view things that happen in my community, just the black community or even just around my household or in my neighborhood is very different because I'm not a part of it, right? I'm not fully in it the way I used to be when I'm living there full time. So I think um, I think black Americans back at home, it's like it's good to just leave that leave your circle, your bubble that you put your, that, that we live in naturally and go outside of it and kind of see what it's really like from the outside looking in and things that are good and things that are bad. Right. Things that you can learn from and things that maybe you don't want to or don't need to change because it makes you who you are. So I really think I've always wanted uh, black Americans uh, to kind of get out of that of the safety of our communities and see things from a different perspective. I mean, and that way, when you go back into the into communities that you're a part of, you can kind of feel and relate to them even more, but also see where positive change can be made because things are different when you step outside of something that you're so familiar with and look at it from a different angle. What do you enjoy the most about working in Taichung or living outside of Taipei? Being in Taipei for a year, Taipei is very fast paced. I lived in Danshui, which is not necessarily in Taipei. It's kind of further out. But I would spend a lot of my, you know, weekends in Taipei. I, d- I do enjoy, I've always enjoyed living in smaller communities because being from Chicago, it's always busy. I hate traffic. It's always crowded. Uh, so Taichung is a, it's a much slower city than Taipei. Um, it's a more family style feel. Um, I don't feel like all the pressure that came with being in Taipei and always having to attend all the social functions that you kind of felt committed to because your friends were always inviting you somewhere or there was always something going on and you know the FMO the fear of missing out I didn't want to have that feeling so I always was on the going Taipei uh, Taijong allowed me to kind of sit down relax and pick and choose where I went so how did you get into coaching b- basketball it was um, in January of 2020 I said uh, around my birthday I said you know what this year, I've always loved basketball. It's been a passion of mine. Uh, I see myself as being moderately good at it. My best friend Patrick said, hey, I found this uh, ad. Someone's looking for a basketball coach. I said, cool. He said, hey, apply. I applied. 20 minutes later, hey, do you want to come coach with us? I said, yes. Um, it's something I enjoy doing, and it's a little bit of teaching involved in it, but I just love being it, it, it would get me active. I would feel a little bit more healthy, um, and it's something different that I hadn't done that I've always wanted to do. What is your favorite moment in a, in a day of coaching? 
I do enjoy when I get to play against the kids. I know sometimes, you know, I, the older ones, we have like 16 year olds and I do enjoy helping them to get better. Um, but I teach like, you know, the six, seven and eight year olds, like they're so cute, but a lot of them, they don't have the strength to reach the basket. So last week um, we've been working on them on strength training, just, you know, practicing shooting the basketball appropriately. That's always the best moment when they actually make their first basket and they run up and down the court screaming. They don't make the second one, but they make the first one. And they're just so happy. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, yeah, I learned something. And those are always the best moments when they themselves realize what they've learned and what they're capable of doing and how far they've come. And yeah. then you get a little, a few minutes on one Friday just to like dunk on those. Yeah. <laughs> right. You and your aforementioned best friend, Patrick, uh, <laughs> decided to start something called CP travels. When did you, uh, when did you decide that you wanted to start a company? We had been, we had traveled for 20, 20 countries at that time together. We noticed that as we were traveling, we had done a Euro trip to eight countries and then we had done, he done India and all that. And we, it was hard pressed for us to find someone that looked like us. There were not a lot of black males in the spaces that we were in. Now that's not to say there weren't a lot of black people traveling, but in the spaces and the way in which we were traveling and saving money, there was no, we never ran into people that looked like us. It was hard. We would, you know, talk to our friends and talking to people from back home, say, hey, why aren't you guys traveling? Why is this the case? And all of them would, they would always say, it's too expensive. Why would I go there? I don't know anything about this place. Again, pre the internet boom. Um, so like, you know what? We should start a company where we write about our travels and where we also help people plan trips to go to these destinations that either we've already visited or places that we want to go and that we've learned learned about from traveling and meeting people from those places who then can serve as guides and as people who can give us input about what's the best thing to do here and why. And it was, and it's weird because even no matter how much well we felt like at the time no matter how much we were right about it and how many videos we would post um, it was still hard for people to feel convinced or confident enough to get out and travel so we felt like we had to do more so that's where the part where planning their trips for them kind of came in because it's hard to ask someone to hey watch this video read this article now you should travel here too and that's where like the booking and helping you plan the trip comes into play because they're like yeah i want to travel here but where do i start I don't know how to how to get it going. I don't know how to book flights. Everything I'm finding is too expensive. You know what? We're really good at this because we do this all the time. Let us do it for you. And CP Travels became a let us do it for you. Let us show you what we do and why it's amazing. And then let us plan these trips for you and help you get there. So yeah, it was it was definitely a learning experience on how to travel effectively. And because it was our business and we cared about our customer base and also ourselves, we did a lot of a lot of research. And Patrick is the tech guy, so I didn't have to worry about any of that. I was the I was the, 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 what do you call that? The CP in CP travel stands for Carl programming. (laughs) I was a a logistics guy. I'm logistics. Patrick was like the technical aspects of it. And he calls himself the fun, the fun guy. What was the moment you realized that the pandemic was a thing? The funny thing was when the pandemic hit us or hit China in January, I had to go on live to convince my parent parents and family and friends that i was okay and that we were doing fine and then i think it was april when because you know we have a bar out here and uh from march february we had 10 guests march we had five then april we had zero may we had zero june we had maybe six or seven so we lost about 90 percent of our business but it was the same for because we have beer distributors and other people that we know that own businesses it was the same for them a lot of bars lost 85 percent of their business for about three months so we're getting hella discounts on beer because we weren't buying any (laughs) because no (laughs) one was coming in um so yeah it was it was tough it was a tough time or it has been a tough time still so it hit 
that's when I realized the pandemic was a big thing for here. And then back home, I'm like, man, why aren't you guys taking this as seriously? And then it became big, you know, back at home once my cousin got it and sadly passed away um, in June. But he had it since March, had it for like 16 weeks. Um, and he was a relatively healthy guy and um, he was just battling with it. And that kind of hit home this the severity of the virus of the pandemic. Regardless of any amount of relevance or success, what is your favorite thing that you've done? My favorite thing I've done definitely has been teaching because no matter what, uh, it's the foundation of everything I've been able to do. I say that because when before I came to Taiwan, when I was in college, I had a speech impediment one and I had a stuttering problem and I still do this. I speak really quickly, um, but I was unable to control it. Um, so when I gave speeches in college, I would literally have to go to my professor before I gave my speech or my presentation and say, hey, if I'm speaking too fast, just cough. So I, I know. And I never forget this day, my sociology professor, he was like, Carl, I was coughing so much. And it's like, you did not pick up on it because <laughs> he was he was just like, I almost had to, he's like, I kept drinking water and coughing. You just were not getting it. But he said it was good. But it's like, he's like, I don't know if you're nervous or what it is. Um, but it took me a very long time to become a good speaker. And I do realize now that it's something about being in the classroom because when you're in the classroom, you're in control one because you're leading, you know, little kids. Um, but I get lost in what I'm doing. I, I don't think about it. I don't think about anything. I'm naturally helping students learn whatever it is that I'm teaching because when I am doing those things and I am talking, I'm talking about something that I really love and I care about and I believe in, then it shows and how I communicate. And I don't think I would have really learned that without the time I've spent in the classroom. Is there anything that you'd like to say to people living in Taiwan, foreigners, locals, or both? Especially with coronavirus, um, I am very thankful that I've been able to live in a space that I've seen. Again, been here for 11 years. It's changed and grown a lot. Uh, since day one, I've I've always been received very well from locals. I still don't like the stares and the, you know, mostly don't think I speak Chinese, all the black man, black man stuff. I've never really enjoyed that. I mean, no one, no one does, but um, it's been less and less since I've been here, to be honest. Uh, the more of us have been out here and the more places I've been, it's been less of a, Oh, surprise, you're black. It's more of, Oh, Hey, foreigner, come here, sit down. Like the, the normal treatment. But, um, Locals and foreigners being is like, man, just being appreciative of the community that we are all a part of maintaining that we've all created and have made it this amazing experience for other foreigners who want to flock to Taiwan to kind of be a part of it as well. And Taiwan has definitely grown since year one of me being here in all the right ways. Um, again, I've met amazing people um, and done amazing things. And it's really just a testament to Taiwan itself um, and how beautiful a country it is um, and how beautiful a place it is to be. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I would say. It's just, man, a, a deeper appreciation for Taiwan, especially handling COVID well and allowing us to have a, a normal life. You want to plug your own stuff? I, I feel like you're, you could might be pretty good at that. Oh, yeah. Man, well, hey, guys, <laughs> make sure you check out the Black Expat Podcast found wherever podcasts are available. I talk about a bunch of amazing things, but more importantly, I have amazing guests join the show weekly uh, to share their insights and experiences on things that they've done all around the world. And by also starting my YouTube channel, also called the Black Expat Podcast, there are a bunch of amazing short snippets of things that I've done and my favorite where I put a swimming pool in my living room because it was too hot in Taiwan. Carl, a true professional. How did you get the swimming pool out of your living room? <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we had to deflate it. Our dog actually bit through it. It was, oh, no. it was all the, it's, it was so much fun. It was random. We were just like, hey, it's hot. Let's go buy a swimming pool. Put it in our living room. All right. Well, thank you, Carl. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for listening to Taiwan Talk. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tordemasi on ICRT FM 100.
Hi, I'm Ryan Drilsma. And I'm Trevor Tordomasi. And we're the co-hosts of Taiwan Talk. You can catch our show on ICRT every Monday during the 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. newscasts. Or you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, SoundOn, or wherever you might usually find podcasts. New episodes are uploaded every Monday night. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with a new guest.